Hey, everybody, welcome to HMH's Future of Transportation podcast. I'm John Halpin, and on this show, as you hopefully know by now, we host a regular series of chats with experts in the transportation industry. Joining me today is Matt Teske, founder and CEO of Chargeway. Thanks for joining us, Matt. No, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. All right. So uh, I'm going to read a line from your website or a combination of lines from your website. Let's put it. Um, Chargeway aims to make electric vehicle charging as simple as possible by putting people in contact with, quote, electric fuel that's easy to find, easy to use and easy to fit into their lives. Can you explain how Chargeway does that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, at a very high level, what we discovered in our research and work, and my, and my background is, is automotive. And, and I really wanted to understand what are we asking people to do with EVs? And it was about asking them to use a new fuel type. That's really the primary difference between an EV and a gas car. And so in our in my research and work, I thought, are we asking the right questions about how we help them visualize this new fuel? So Chargeway by design looks at all the engineering and everything that makes EVs possible and EV charging possible and translates it into something visual that anybody can use easily. So we use colors for plug types and simple numbers for power levels. And by putting that on a map, you can visualize your electric fuel safety net in a way that works for the car that you've chosen and it's tailored to the car that you've chosen. So what we found is most people just will say, I don't understand how to use electricity as a fuel. I Gas is a liquid. It's I can you right. know, see it. I can smell it. Electricity for most people is like magic. They don't really understand how it works. And to trust a vehicle to run on a fuel that you fundamentally don't understand, you have to give people what they need to know, which is, well, can I connect here, the colors? And then by power level, how long do I have to wait to fill up? Because there's some moving targets there compared to gasoline to use electricity as a fuel and how you explain the options of home charging compared to public fast charging and how you help someone visualize that for their driving experience. And that was really the goal was to make the intangible fuel tangible. All right. And and by the way, as whatever else we talk about, even if you don't have an EV and you're listening to this, obviously you want to learn more if you don't have one. Um, download the Chargeway app. I did it on my iPhone the other day because I wanted to learn more about what Matt and Chargeway do. And it's just it's so it's really cool. So you should you should just check it out. And of course, it asked what kind of car I have. So I was going, oh, what car do, what car do I want to have? What EV? Because I don't drive one yet, but I was just kind of playing around. And it gave me different options, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so you've been around for almost five years with Chargeway? Yeah, officially founded in 2017. And uh, we've been in market with our product, uh, the, the software platform for the mobile app, as well as our retail solutions that we work on with dealerships and utilities since 2019. And through those pilots, we've built out uh, extended programs uh, throughout the United States. So, All right. So you said your background's in automotive, but it's in what it looks like branding and marketing, kind of like what I do. How do I, normally when I talk to people in this kind of business, they're engineers. Yeah. How did you get into, what made you go, you know, hey, I need to, you know, create this technology that helps people, um, you know, w- with their EV fueling? Um, it was a personal experience. <laughs> um, I had convinced my wife that we needed to get a plug-in car back in 2013. And I had done my wow. homework and yeah, and I said, hey, we're going to get this car. And, and she just went along with it saying, OK, you're you're a car guy. Let's let's go do this. And so we <laughs> did. And I the first trip we took with it, I called the resort we we're staying at and I asked the mm-hmm. front desk, hey, do you have EV charging for your, you know, for your guests? They said, oh, yeah, no problem. And so I thought this is fantastic. So we just drove out there. And as we're checking in, I asked the front desk, you know, oh, by the way, we brought our electric car. Where do we plug in? And the woman said, oh, let me get the maintenance guy. And I thought, that's odd. And so they bring out this guy and he says, OK, follow me. And so he walks us out to the parking lot. We walk past our car, every other car. And there is a wooden shed on the edge of the parking lot. And he w- leans over 
flips open a little metal flap on a regular outlet and said, all right, there you go. And I just looked at him and said, no, 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 that's, that's just an outlet. I need a charging station. He said, well, I don't know. This is what we have. So best of luck to you. Yeah. And my wife was staring at me with this, this look on her face of really, you know? And so, <laughs> so fortunately we, we did have a plug-in hybrid, which is both electric and gas for fuel. And so you, know, you drive on the electricity, the battery you know, goes down and then you, the gas takes over. So we did have gas to get home. So didn't change the embarrassment. So my at dinner that night, my wife and I were chatting and she just casually said, she said, you know, can I ask you a question? I thought, okay, where's this going? And she said, well, you're, you're a car guy, right? And I said, I used to be known as one in my mind. Yes. And so she was, was just candid. She said, if you had a hard time figuring this out, how would I do this? How would the rest of the world do this? If yep. it's that difficult. And I, and this is, again, this is 10 years ago. And I thought it can't be that bad. And so doing the research, what we found was that, you know, by myself and then turning into the team is that it really boiled down to the fact that people fundamentally didn't understand how to use electricity as fuel, but also there's different plug types. There's different power levels. The station designs are different. We're asking businesses like hotels to be fueling stations now and know how to talk about it. And so we needed to create a simple transparency around how that that experience will work for everyone. That's what we determined. And so that's what Chargeway is designed to do. All right. You know, it's funny. 2013, you were way ahead of the curve on this. Yeah. Yeah. As, as owners and drivers. Yeah. My, my family certainly was. And even people, the people that came even before us, the, the, the pioneers of the industry that have been doing this for you know 20 years. And, mm -hmm. you know, for for us, it was a matter of, again, I, I always saw where the automotive industry was going because of my background in branding and communications and marketing and automotive. And so to your question about how did a marketing branding guy get into this? It really was about the fact that the product we were asking people to buy into, they fundamentally didn't understand. And there were no communicators yep. and storytellers in the electric vehicle market that were addressing that. They just kept saying, we just got to get people to buy the cars. And I thought, that's true. But if they don't trust the other product, which is the fuel, and you're not making that as easy as the word regular, you're yeah. going to have a hard time selling people. And so that's where you know I, I think my background expertise really lent to helping create the solution. So, Wow. You know, it's, it's funny. I had a, uh, I won't say, I had a client the other day who's in uh who's in the EV, who's in the electric vehicle business and he said when he bought his own ev he thought about which one to buy and he decided to buy he, he basically was tesla or non-tesla and he said i'm not going to buy a tesla because i want to experience what our customers experience in trying to find this like i want to understand where the where the pain points are and he said, still, it's, you know, it's an issue finding, you know, I got to recommend your product to him if he doesn't know about it. But um, yeah, it's it's an issue still, even with all the advances we've made. Right. Oh, yeah. I think that that's part, part of it is the fact that we've had automakers who they've really relied upon a, a stakeholder such as the fossil fuel industry for you know a century to make the other product that they have leveraged to make their cars lovable. <laughs> I mean, frankly, people will, cause <laughs> I can I can buy a gas powered anything, a truck, a car, a van, you name it. And I can rely yeah. on the fact that it will always get me where I need to go because the other product awaits me, which is the fuel. And so the auto sector really has not had to answer that question. And then at the same time, you have the energy sector and, and public utilities here in North America that they've never had to market themselves or their products, really. They have monopolies. And so the, the role that they play as a fuel provider now also is not exactly well understood within their marketing and communication teams. And so we, as, as an entity, we come in and we glue that together. We help the energy sector speak utility, and I'm sorry, we help the energy sector speak auto, and we help the auto sector speak energy. 
in the sense that they both need to realize what each other's role is and how they basically provide support for one another to create a great user experience for the electric car. And, yep. and that's really what we, we, we create the bridge for that through our platform. So, okay. Yeah. So, so what's the bit, how did, when you got into this, I mean, you serve the consumer, me, for instance, you serve dealerships and you serve utilities, which, which was the first one that did you go all three at the beginning or did you start with one? Yeah, we really had to think about how to, what is the go-to-market strategy here, right? And so we we knew we had to build out a mobile app that would work for drivers in the way that we envisioned it would be easy to use. And at the end of the day, it's for the driver. They need to know how to use electricity as fuel. And so we started with the mobile platform development, but then we realized we had to build out how that solution would engage with them through their customer journey. It's not just about, hey, I finally decided to buy the car and now I have an app. It's 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 way ahead of that. And so we yeah. realized we had to develop out solutions for retail and web and that would capture people during the research process online, during the purchase process in the showroom, and also create essentially what we call, you know, the electric fuel sales associate, some some kind of entity that is in that customer journey that supports the auto dealers. And so we found that through the development of our platform, we could create a retail experience through a kiosk using our same software, but it created a consistent visualization and journey throughout every touchpoint for that customer. And so that was really the intent was to say, how do we help someone go from, I'm just doing basic research online, they see something about you know a charging station map at their utility website or maybe the dealership website, and then when they go into buy the car or test drive it, for example, that exact same visualization is echoed through our retail experience. And then they download the mobile app and it's the exact same UI, UX, and experience in the mobile app, and it creates confidence. It's consistency that allows mm -hmm. them to say, wow, this was, this was easy to understand the whole way through, and now I get to own yep. the car and enjoy it. And it creates credibility for those who we support, such as the auto dealers and the utilities. Okay. Who's your competition mainly? Right now, it's interesting. I mean, people immediately will say, oh, so you guys competing with other networks? The answer is no, we're, we're driving drivers yeah. to those networks. So we see them we see them as partners. And there are other apps out there that are designed to be agnostic around how you find charging stations, for example. But most of those other apps that are out there have used a very you know simplified UI UX that just shows you where everything is, and then you kind of have to dive in and figure it out. Um, namely, the kilowatts and the plug types, which which that directly impacts. Can you connect, yeah. and how long do you wait? So our interface is very unique in that regard. Other other apps that will identify charging might have a pin with a lightning bolt or something weird, but you have to dive into the station details to know. All right, what connector type is here? What what's the power level? Also hoping that that person wants to learn what those names of those weird plug names are. And also, do they understand what a kilowatt is? And so we wanted to address all those things. And frankly, so in that regard, we're the only entity that's really addressing how to simplify how a user can visualize and experience this based on the car they've chosen. So, yeah, your, your, your background that I mentioned earlier proves, proves really, really shines through in that aspect of, of your product because it's, it's, it's so easy to, to, to work with and, 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 and figure out. Um, so let me to, more into the competition. If I Tesla's got its own ecosystem, right? If I buy a Tesla, I've got everything with un, under the Tesla umbrella. Why would a Tesla driver, for instance, use y your technology? We actually we actually have a lot of Tesla drivers that use Chargeway, and what we found is that based on even Tesla does not necessarily define the differences in their own supercharging the way that we do. 
So for example, if you're using a Tesla, they might use little lightning bolts inside their map to define different power. But we really define the fact that a supercharger from a Tesla, for example, could be level five, level six, or level seven as it relates to power levels. And so we've had a lot of Tesla users who have said, that actually is great because I don't want to know just that it's a quote supercharger. I want to know what actually awaits me here and how, do that, how does that impact my wait time? So we've had a lot of Tesla users uh, use our platform for that. Also, you really can't map out a road trip in a Tesla it outside, like in their mobile app. You have to be in the car to do so. Whereas with our platform, yeah. you can estimate your charge time and plan a road trip. And so we've had a lot of users that have enjoyed it for that. And then I think lastly is we have the ability for a Tesla user to turn on adapters that they might have from Tesla to see where mm -hmm. other non-Tesla stations are very quickly. And it's color-coded and number-coded so they know what plug and power awaits them. So in, in those three instances, we found that Tesla owners have said, yeah, you've expanded upon the simplicity that they have in, in a way that allows me to still have a, an experience that's easy to understand, but also easy to use. So um, that, that to me says a lot about how we've been able to improve upon the experience, but also then looking at the OEMs, the automakers that compete with Tesla, that's where we really shine, is that we really do have a much more transparent experience about how charging works, so. Okay, so uh, I told you before we started recording that I'm in the I'm in the consideration phase of you know researching. Obviously, this show helps me do <laughs> research on EVs. Um, I get to pick a lot of people's brains. So, I think six months ago, maybe a year ago, I thought that my biggest obstacle to purchase an EV was price. Literally, the sticker price. I know there are benefits. You know, I get tax credits, things like that. Mm. Are charging issues the biggest obstacle, do you think, for people uh, when they look to buy EVs? Like, do they like you said, if when they go into it, they, they it's it's a it's hard to understand unless platforms like yours make it easy. Right. Yeah, I, I would say it's it's those are the two primary hurdles is when the, here's how we address that with chargeways. We actually look at that and said, OK, there are two sides of this conversation. There's the emotional questions and then the logical questions that someone might have about how to use an EV. The emotional ones are nine times out of 10 people make assumptions. They will say, well, if I'm buying an electric car, can I just go to one of those Tesla super things? I hear they're fast because every gas station works for every car. And so they make it. And that's people don't know what they don't know. So that that's an understandable assumption when you then have to show them how, OK, no, you can't go to that location. You have to go to this one that works for your car, et cetera. The next assumption is, OK, but if I plug in at home and it takes eight hours, does that mean every charging station takes eight hours? What, what does that mean? And so right. you then walk into the power level. So we designed the system to walk them through almost like a frog going across a pond on lily pads to get to the other side is to say, you want to get to the other side? We help you do that in very simple jumps. You see the chargers that work for your car you've selected. You can do it, use the charge time estimator, to understand how power levels work and impact your wait time. You can then plan a road trip to know you don't have to just drive around town with this thing. You can take it on an adventure. And so those are the emotional questions we wanted to address with our platform. And those are the primary menu items in our platform, the station finder, the charge time estimator, and the trip planner. In our retail experience, we included an incentives tab that then addresses the financial questions around what are the incentives for my car if I'm buying this one? Or mm -hmm. is my electric bill going to go up to a trillion dollars if I'm filling up at home? Because <laughs> I, think, I think fuel is expensive. So we have a fuel cost estimator tool built into our retail platform that allows a dealer or a user to actually in real time visualize in their zip code with the car they're looking at, what would their electricity bill go up at home if they drove, wow. let's say, 400 miles? We have that built in. And then lastly, a home charging catalog that allows them to say, what home charger would be best for this vehicle? And we have a partnership uh, with com a company called QMerit that does home charging installation. So we can guide mm -hmm. people through their home charging install. So those are the logical pieces of once, they, once they've understood emotionally the fuel, 
they then get into the logical justifications of the price. So to your point, which is which is you know the more important element or barrier? They're both there for most people. We just wanted to address both in a way that allowed them to walk away saying, I got every answer to every question I had. I think so. I think, well, partly is this, is that, so the average price of a new car in, in the U.S. now is about 43000 something along those lines, which is not cheap. Mm -hmm. I mean, people aren't just running out and buying $45,000 cars every day. I mean, there's still plenty of people buying used vehicles, right? Yep. So in that respect, I think that the, you know, the price element is, is misunderstood, is most people buy a car, and whether it's a used car for $5,000 or a brand new car for $80,000, whether that's the case, they assume that they have to buy gasoline. And most people think gasoline can be expensive. Sometimes it gets cheaper, but it can become too expensive. And that's they see that as a sunk cost. They just say, I have to use that. I, I don't have a choice. To me, that's number one is, is electric fuel awareness has to be, be become a much higher volume conversation in basically consumers' minds. Is when they go into the car buying experience, whether used or new, they need to be thinking. You know, regardless of the price of the car I'm buying, there is a fuel option out there now that is far more affordable than gasoline. And if they have a home in the garage or a driveway, they can almost exclusively fill up at home. Then it's just about yeah. telling them how much that fill up will look like from a price perspective. Once that's addressed, I think then they can get back to just shopping for cars that either run on gas or electricity, all the while knowing, wow, electric fuel is much more affordable and much more convenient to me because I have a house. But also then showing them that away from home, it also works just as well. That to me is the price barrier for the combined price of the, of the buying experience. I think that'll help a lot moving forward. And that's something we're looking to address. Okay. So uh, a few years from now, do you think more people will charge at home or out? Like, well, like if I'm at a shop, you know, the supermarket or whatever. Well, 50% of the U.S. has a home with a garage or a driveway where they park at night. I mean, that's really the okay. numbers, roughly. So I think that the first opportunity for EVs to grow quickly is with that, that buying segment that has that option. And most people, I mean, my, my wife and I, for example, we have a home with a garage and a driveway. We exclusively fill up at home. We only charge away from home if we decide to go on a long distance road trip. And because we have the chargeway trip planner, we can plan it out. We know exactly where those charges are, what the network is, what the power level is. So it helps us visualize that other 5% of the time we might need to fill up away from home. So half of the country will almost exclusively fill up at home most of the time. The other half, so where will the other half fill up? That's going to be at shopping centers, on the highway, at work, and helping them see and visualize where those options exist is the other part of what our platform does. So if you, you live in Portland, mm -hmm. um, if you were going to take a trip next week to Los Angeles, you wouldn't have any hesitation taking your EV, right? Absolutely not. I've driven, I've okay. driven in our, in our EVs, we've driven to the Oregon coast. We've driven up to Seattle. We've also recently driven all the way down to Los Angeles. I drove to Chicago and back and came back through nice. North Dakota. I mean, so it's, you have, what people just don't realize is they can't visualize that. We've had focus groups where, where people have said to us, if I'm driving on the highway and I see a gigantic yellow shell, I know that fuel awaits me. It doesn't, right. I'm not concerned. And I could be in any of my cars. In an electric car, you have to make the choice to find the fuel. And that to me is one of the biggest hurdles about EV adoption is that people fundamentally need to 
trust the fuel type in order to trust the car. And there has been a lack of visibility around that. We're trying to create better visibility around it. Yep. So where do you get the, the information on the charging stations? Like, how does it get into your platform? There's a, there's a few sources that we that we leverage. So one is the Department of Energy has a database of most of the major networks here in the U.S. and North America that we can use as a baseline for data points. We then run all that data through our rules engine and our curation system to make it as accurate as possible because not all of that data is always perfect. And then we also have users responding to us, providing us information about new stations that we can add. And then we work directly with some networks for their data directly. And the more we can grow out those relationships with that data source, we can get even more granular on that information, such as real-time status and, make, and potentially making a payment down the line. So those are things we're working on right now. Okay. Um, I want to go back a second to the charge at home versus charge out sure. uh, question. Uh, I had a guest on here recently who's um, who basically said that one of the things that we should talk about is getting away from getting people out of, of the, the mindset that they have to fill every time they charge like you do with a gas tank. Do you agree with that? It, that that's a I think that's a harder psychological lift, because if you look at the competitive experience now, granted, technologically speaking, yes, that's true. Like my wife and I, we only charge to you know 80 or 90 percent on a regular basis. The only time you ever charge to 100 percent is if you're knowing you're going on a road trip and you just boost yeah. your battery to make sure you can get that long range right out of the gate. Um, even at fast chargers, you don't charge to 100 percent. You charge about 80 or 90 percent. So, yes, that is a component of it. The but teaching someone that is the hard part, right, is to say, <laughs> right. Hey, Every American's like, I want full. I want it 100%. I want to get what I paid for kind of thing. And so I, the advice I've given OEMs over the years is I've said, if you are going to develop out a battery pack that can go X amount of miles, my advice to you is don't try to explain to people what the 100% range is on that battery, because frankly, they're probably not going to use it all that often. You should probably market whatever the maximum range is as whatever 80% of the battery is. Just call mm -hmm. that full. That extra you know, 20 to 10%. Call it a backup reserve. Make it a bonus that people can leverage if they want to. But mm -hmm. you know, psychologically, don't make them feel like they're not getting 100% because right. we can't fight physics at that point with respect to the batteries. And so I don't disagree with the, with the person you had on, on recently that said we should try to get people to understand that. That's part of the user experience, but it's a, it's a tough way to how you message it compared to you know how you get as much range out of the battery as you want and, and things of that nature. So yeah, it's, that's still a little bit of a moving target. So, OK, um, I'm going to get into some bigger picture stuff about the the industry as a whole. Um, I read an article a couple of weeks ago that basically argued that people overestimate range when they look to buy an EV, that they try to future proof and they say, well, I can buy that. You know, I, I got the car here with the 210 mile range. But boy, that one with the 300 mile range, I should really get that because because, you know, two years from now, I don't want to regret it. And, and it kind of argued that for most people, that doesn't really come into play. It, it do, and, and I also think about Chargeway. And I think as you help me find the charging stations, I don't necessarily need all that range. Do I like is, is that a consideration that people might not need to worry about as much as they do? Oh, I think it's I, I, it, from a practical perspective. I think that's true is that, you know, you don't I mean, a, a gas powered GT Mustang goes 250 miles on a gas tank. So, I mean, right. <laughs> there's not, you don't necessarily need 600 miles of range or whatever people you know think they want, but bigger, better, better, bolder. I have to wait less time refueling. I, I mean, that's a natural response from consumers. Um, 
but do they necessarily need it? No. And this actually gets to something that we talk about often with, with our partners is that it's not necessarily about range anxiety that people are having an issue with. I have range anxiety. We hear that phrase all the time in EVs. Yeah. We say, no, it's actually, it's fuel anxiety. They don't trust the fuel. Therefore they want the maximum amount of range they can get because otherwise they feel like this, this vehicle is maybe less productive or less useful to them. But if they understood and trusted the fuel more effectively, they wouldn't care about the range. In the same way someone buys a gas-powered Mustang and says, I don't care that it goes 250 miles on a tank. I just trust gas. And when I need to refill, I just refill. So that to me is, the again, the education. It's around how do you understand how to use this fuel type and how it fits into your life. So for someone who home charges, they will not really think of anything beyond their home unless they're on a road trip. And that's when they'll want to consider faster charging. But for the most part, they will they will use standard charging levels one and two at home, which are the you know the only options at home. But that is enough to meet their needs on a regular basis. So it is about fuel education in that respect. So I, I don't necessarily think that people are there yet to understand about how the fuel works. And that's, again, what we're trying to address. So, Okay. So when you took that trip from Chicago to and from Chicago, were there enough fast charging options for you? Because I think part, part of what I think and I've heard from other people is like, well, what if I got this charging station? I'm on a trip, but then I got to wait, you know, 40 minutes for my car to charge up enough. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's what our that's what the number system in Chargeway helps identify. Yeah. It's with the number system. You can then know what to anticipate when you arrive with your car. So let's say for sake of argument, you buy a brand new Mustang Mach-E, which is a level six capable vehicle. And you pull up at yeah. a level six charger. If you're on a road trip, that's going to get you back on the road in about 30 to 40 minutes. So if you've been driving for three hours, stop, grab food, go to the bathroom. When you get back, your car is going to be basically, you know, back to where you need to be to get back on the road. And that's what I experienced in my driving. Now, that means you need to know what to anticipate with that pin on the map. So if you see a, a green four on the map, you're going to say, well, it's faster than the green two I have at my house, but it's not as fast as green six. So I might have to wait longer. So setting expectations and round transparency, I think, matters for drivers. But there's now enough level seven fast charging out in the United States, both for Tesla and for green stations, which is the standard plug color for most EVs today. There's enough to drive from New York to Los Angeles right now using a, a green capable vehicle. So Tesla's infrastructure is a little bit more robust. They have you know, the Dakotas covered, for example, but a lot of this infrastructure didn't even exist three years ago. And that's the thing is it now is out there, but people still fundamentally don't know how to visualize it. So the, the concern is, is valid. It's a matter of, again, using something like Chargeway to say, I'm gonna plot my trip and see what it tells me. And it estimates both your charge time and tells you your power level so you can understand that fuel experience more with more you know, transparency and with more clarity. So I mentioned to you earlier that, that I downloaded your uh, the Chargeway app and, and was looking around um, for, you know, to see what was in my area. And I will say even this, it's not a road trip, so it's a little different. I live just south of Charlotte, North Carolina, everybody. And I saw a lot of green. I saw a lot of green twos on the map. Yep. Like I felt overwhelmed with green twos. And I said, great for local. <laughs> but if I needed it, I like you said, I'd have to stop in for, you know, a bite to eat or something if I wanted right. to charge at one of those places. Well, yeah, the, 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 the mindset behind a lot of the green two infrastructure you're going to see out there is that it's called opportunity charging. Is there's, there's certain networks who have said, we think that when everybody stops, they can always just kind of plug into that green two and just get a little bit of a fill up back. And that's the, that's the methodology they're using. I think that for some drivers that don't, for example, that don't have a home with a garage or a driveway where they can charge at night, that opportunity charging like that will be leveraged, I think. For those who don't have to worry about that and they can just go home and fill up, they will not leverage opportunity charging at a level two on a regular basis. They'll just fast charge on road trips. So, Got it. Okay. So um, back to the different kinds of chargers. 
can, can you help me understand? So if I go out tomorrow and I buy a Chevy Bolt, um, can I charge at a Tesla station at this point? You cannot. You cannot. And that's and that's what, our color, that's what our color code system provides, is that when you've added your vehicle, it only shows you the color coded stations that work for your car. So but the Tesla driver can charge at the charge point station with an adapter that Tesla Correct. provides. Tesla, okay. yeah, it's an OEM. They're the only OEM currently that offers an adapter that allows a Tesla driver to charge at a green level two station, for example, for a standard charge. Yeah. And they also offer an adapter for blue fast charging, which is an original version of fast charging that's kind of going away, the blue plug. But Tesla owners do have an adapter for that if they want to use a blue fast charger. Um, but they're the only brand that offers adapters at this point currently. Most brands are just opting to say, just go to green stations. That's that's where you go. So Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned that there's some work with utilities for you. Um, with the way in the last, let's say the last year, that this conversation and interest in electric vehicles is just sort of, I mean, I, I think one of the things I relate to is when the Super Bowl ads started running last year, you know, with Will Ferrell <laughs> and everything. Like, all of a sudden, everybody started, you know, really, hey, maybe it's time for me to buy an EV. Like, I felt like the conversation started to change about a year ago. You know, it, it, it was sort of like an avalanche. Um, are the utility companies ready for what's coming right now? From uh, from an infrastructure perspective and supporting it? Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the beauty of it is if, is you're talking about EVs that are filling up at home, as an example, when you're plugging in on levels one or two, that's no different from plugging in other electrical items at your home. I mean, if mm -hmm. you plug into a level one, that's a wall outlet. That's like plugging in a lamp. <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> right. like, it's going to take you a long time to fill up on a level one, but you can do it. Uh, if you upgrade to level two at home, that's like that's equivalent to like turning on your electric dryer for how much power you're using. Right. OK. So the even if everybody on the block was running their dryers, the electric dryers at the same time, the grid would go, OK. Because that's how I mean, that's a we're used to that power draw. Right. So in that regard, that's what an EV does for you know how it fills up at home. It's just slowly filling up at home. And a level two is is perfectly fine for filling up overnight. So if you have a 300 main, you know, 300 mile range vehicle and you go on a road trip one day, you go to the coast and back and you come home with five miles of range left. You plug in at your garage on a level two. You're filled up by morning. Yeah. It's, and it's just but again, the draw on the grid on that. So the grid is just going to say. The power equivalent, it's about like a dryer. The, the grid's not seeing it that much pain on that. Now, fast charging requires much more power, but yeah. the amount that's being used from a driver's perspective, especially for those who can fill up at home, it reduces the amount of fast chargers in the wild we might need compared to if you wanted to always have everybody filling up fast because they couldn't fill up at home, right? So right. The, the utilities have done a lot of research into this and how they can be you know, ready for this type of load and, and what's going to happen. And frankly, it's they're well prepared for it. And, and they're building out more support that's going to allow for this to be, uh, again, for the fast charging infrastructure that has to go in on highways and things like that. That's where the biggest support is happening. But it's already being built out and being supported today. So the grid, I think, is very well prepared for this. Uh, from an infrastructure perspective, from a messaging perspective, and for how they let the world <laughs> know that they're ready, that's something that yeah. we're trying to work with a lot of our partners on to help them more effectively explain the role they play in, in people's transportation lives now. So, okay, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Well, people, we if people can charge overnight at home, it's fine. I just wonder how impatient we all are about you know, ooh, do I need to get a fast charger at home if I can afford one? If that's even possible at some point, well, but yeah, level two. Yeah. Two is the fastest we're going to be able to do at home because of how the grid yeah. is designed. Yeah. Got it. Okay. All right. Last question for you. Um, we invited you on here because you're doing something really cool 
in this industry, in, in the EV industry and the transportation industry in general. What other companies, like if you were going to tell me, you know who you should talk to next time, this person from this company, who's doing something really cool in the transportation industry that, that you admire and you think maybe needs a little more love or attention or maybe they're getting attention and you just think it's really cool anyway. There's a lot happening in the space right now. And, and there's, yeah. also a lot, there's also a lot of noise too. I mean, there's, there's plenty of folks that, and you know, in companies that it's, you can tell there's blood in the water and there's, there's some people popping up out of nowhere and company you're like, what do you do exactly? How are you, how are you supporting the, the industry? So, um, I mean, again, the, the, I think there's a few ways to look at this as one is you have the newcomers and, the, and also the changing of the guard that's happening with, with legacy auto brands, as an example. Um, so brands such as, um, like what Ford recently announced with their changing their structure of how they're developing out even product moving forward, they're gonna have the model E program and Ford blue, which is their traditional gas powered program. I think that speaks to an understanding of how they need to think differently. So I think that they are positioning themselves to be well you know, well, they're, they're positioning themselves to be ready to respond to what the industry is expecting and what consumers will be expecting from their products. So I think that's a, that's an important, you know, if you could get someone from Ford to, to come on and talk about what yep. they have done in that regard, I think that that will start to trickle down into other OEMs planning as for how they need to respond. Maybe GM might do something similar. Um, I think that, but I will say that that's a responsive element to the industry. You know, mm -hmm. if you'd have asked Ford that, Three years ago, they wouldn't have said, "Yeah, we're going to do." <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So, you know, brands like Lucid and, and Rivian and, and Tesla and others that have that have obviously been paving the way for this for the fact that hey, this is where transportation can go. They set the stage for the innovation, and I think that it's making other companies respond to innovate. Um, and in, in that sense, I think that there's 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 a lot of followers, and there's only a few leaders in that sense. And I hate to be critical that way, but. Again, I've been in the auto sector for most of my career, and I've been working with NEVs for a decade now. And so, you know, there's a lot of EV folks that are going to say, well, yeah, there's only a handful of innovators in this space. Um, I, I think that probably the next step for, you know, for who you could bring on, again, I think someone at a lazy brand like Ford that's speaking to something about what their plan is for what that looks like for product moving forward. I mean, they're even spinning in the idea they're going to, you know, have Sunrun as a partner and help people get solar for their homes. So, they're seeing the importance of it connecting the dots for energy. Um, but honestly, even if you were to bring on non-automotive, I mean, even, even companies that are in the energy space that are working on a lot of these, uh, I mean, important pieces. Um, some of the utilities we work with, they have a good understanding or you know, a better understanding than most about the role they play. And I think the more that utilities are given a chance to speak about how they are trying to engage with the public on the fact that they are now a part of their transportation experience, that's an important piece too. So I think some of the partners we work with from the utility side, Portland General Electric, uh, Pacific Power, Austin Energy, uh, Avista Utilities, SRP and APS in Arizona, uh, Dominion Energy in Virginia, they see that what we're helping paint the picture for them as a, uh -huh. as a thought leader in energy, they're, they're, they're grasping that and saying, let's, let's use that to engage with consumers and the auto sector more effectively. That's another opportunity for having great conversations around what that could look like for um, you know, who's innovating. So. Got it. Well, that's that's a lot of good suggestions. And and this was a great conversation, Matt. Uh, I, I learned a lot. I hope the listeners do, too. Um, I really appreciate you uh, joining me here. Well, I appreciate the invite. And again, I, I enjoy this conversation and topic every time I get to have it. So I'm happy to come back again if, if there's ever an opportunity. 
Sounds good. All right, everybody, you can learn more about Chargeway at its website at chargeway.net. Um, you can also, like I did the other day, um, download their app on your smartphone or whatever, wherever you would download something, because it's like I said, even if you don't yet have an EV, this will help you learn the process, basically help you seeing how it works. As we talked about earlier, super easy to use, very intuitive. I kind of looked, I went, you know what? I could figure this out in two seconds if I bought an EV tomorrow. So it was really, really great. Um, everybody, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're watching or listening. It helps us get the word out. And we'd really appreciate it. To learn more about HMH, the Transportation Transformation Agency, visit hmhagency.com. Find us on all the usual social media platforms and go to our website and subscribe to our newsletter, which goes out once a month. Lots of good transportation information, plus a link to this podcast next time it's out. We really appreciate that too. For Matt Teske, I'm John Halpin. Thank you for listening. And we will be back soon with a new episode of HMH's Future of Transportation podcast.